What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store. The app that makes sure you never miss the hottest sports talk by the Cooler with like-minded fans and listeners of the same community. So download the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store, search for your favorite podcast, specifically look up the Lakers Legacy Podcast, we are up there right now, subscribe to our Cooler page, Click on one of our episodes, listen away, and then join the conversation by commenting away down below on each episode. Add some emojis, like the cringe emoji, because I know that I can be quite cringe. Ask us questions about specific points we made throughout a specific episode. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. Also, you're likely to find one of us commenting and replying back to you guys directly within each episode feed in the comments section. So grab a drink, make your way over to the cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers legacy to your queue, and let's keep the debates and discussions going beyond the final sign-offs you hear from us at the end of each episode. The Cooler Podcast Player. Listen, then speak your mind. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where I too cannot control that my contract makes sense to be traded. So I just podcast.
I just put my head down and go to work podcasting. <laughs> I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, guess what? What? The trade deadline is nigh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so I, I don't know. I don't know if by the time I push this episode out, if the Lakers have made a big trade or not. But you know what? We're going to let go and let God anyway and hope that this episode is still relevant 30 minutes after I post this episode. So today will be our official precursor to the trade deadline final thoughts and predictions episode with the Lakers off till 2-8 Kobe Statue Day, which is also, of course, trade deadline D-Day. The Lakers wrapped up their Grammy road trip last night, beating the Charlotte Hornets as they end up going a respectable 4-2 along the way, losing the games you didn't think they would lose and winning the games you didn't think they would necessarily win, just so that they could tear down that narrative that the Lakers can't beat good teams. In fact, this season, it's the good teams that the Lakers can beat, it's the bad teams they can't seem to get up for. AD had his second triple-double of the season last night and the game-winning block against Miles Bridges. LeBron James was dunking and throwing lobs all over the place. And D'Angelo Russell led the Lakers in scoring with 28 points, 6 assists, and a couple of really clutch, ridiculous Ohio State D'Lo-like passes to Anthony Davis and LeBron James at the end to clinch the victory for the Lakers. If last night was indeed D'Angelo Russell's last night as a Laker, again... Well then, what an incredible, don't-give-any-fucks, defiant run it has been for him this last month. He will end his tenure with the Lakers 11th all-time in three-pointers made in Lakers history, right behind Nick Young, hitting 437 threes in his Lakers career. He will end his second season with the Lakers, second season in this recent stint, averaging 17 points and 6 assists, shooting 41% from three. Again which is what he averaged last year with the Lakers as well. He'll end his 2024 run with the Lakers, averaging 22 points, 6 assists on 48% from 3 and 85% from the line. On the year, with D'Angelo Russell as a starter, the Los Angeles Lakers are 23-18. and 18. When D'Angelo Russell has been benched or has been out of a game entirely, the Lakers are just 4-7. and seven. All that to say, D'Angelo Russell is good, The Lakers needed him on this team. They needed him to play well. And if this is it, D'Lo, thank you for your services. We are all D'Lo Lakers fans, Mikey. Coco 5. All right, with that out of the way, again, in this episode, we are talking final pre-trade deadline predictions. Now, we got some slightly good news yesterday that Jared Vanderbilt will be reevaluated in four weeks and that he's not definitively out for the season. While that's definitely positive, I think we should all probably just assume that Vando won't be back for the foreseeable future and probably treat him like we did Andrew Bynum in 2008-2009, when I believe Andrew Bynum also had a long-term injury and... yeah only was able to return like a few games before the playoffs, and he was never really right that entire playoff run. But he was still serviceable. And so if Vando can do that and operate at even 70% of himself, I think the Lakers will take it. But because of that, I think 
Vando's absence obviously places a bigger emphasis on Rui's role on the team and also places a bigger emphasis on wing slash guard defenders like Max Christie, who has seen his role increase in the last couple of games and has played some really, really solid defense. He closed against the Knicks, which was pretty huge. And it also places more emphasis on Cam Reddish getting healthy and returning to the lineup. Um, I guess it also places emphasis on Torian Prince, who has looked better off the bench and who Darvin Ham is now treating more appropriately as a tertiary role player. And then obviously, Jared Vanderbilt's absence also affects who the Lakers will pursue now in the days leading up to the trade deadline. But Tommy, before we get into our updated trade thoughts, I did want to talk about the D'Angelo Russell versus DeJounte debate one last time. So Tommy, I wanted to ask you, You touched upon it last episode, but how did you get to this point with D'Angelo Russell and DeJounte Murray of maybe seeing more value in D'Angelo than DeJounte Murray? I'm sure it's not just the recency bias of D'Angelo Russell's run, although I'm sure that's contributed to it, but there was a point in this season not too long ago where you and I, but you especially, were ready to give up the farm for DeJounte Murray. And there's been nothing in his play recently, especially given his play against the Lakers last week, where he had like nine assists and only a few turnovers. He was slashing into the lane, pulling up for mid-range jump shots. And even the games prior to that, he was hitting like multiple game winners in a row, pulling up from three. His jump shot actually looks pretty smooth. He looks like the type of player who... I don't necessarily want to call DeJounte like Russell Westbrook, but it's almost like a fusion of Russell Westbrook morphing more into De'Aaron Fox, which is potentially a really good player, you know, especially if that three-point shot of DeJounte's is real. So given all of that, like, how did you get to this place of like, you know what, DeJounte's really good, but seeing what I've seen from D'Angelo Russell, maybe I'll just stick with D'Angelo Russell, because I'm curious to see your thought process in in that uh, journey. (laughs) So I think when we started this season, you and I were both really excited about what we saw from D'Angelo in the preseason, what we heard about uh, him doing in camp and and all of these things, right? And I think it was sort of an inflection point in his career. Like this is the, he's in his late 20s. He's going for probably what will be like his last big contract. And in a market where, I mean, you know, everyone knew what Fred Van Vliet I guess we didn't know he was going to get that much, but like we knew that he was going to be a prime target. We knew there were some other prime point guards that the teams were trying to nab that were floating around. And there was a chance that D'Lo would slip and he did slip. And we got a starting caliber point guard for like $4 million more than the mid-level exception, which is crazy, or maybe five, $6 million more than the mid-level, right? Which for a former all-star starting cal- starting caliber point guard in the NBA, that that's just like, not heard of. And we knew that Dilo was going to take that motivation and and try to push for a huge season. And so I think we came into the season both like really excited about what that was going to look like. I think what kind of took me off that train was seeing how he was actually utilized. I think like, you know, even when he was starting, there was always this sense that he wasn't the guy. Like he like he was being put on the bench for prolonged like he would hit 30 at the end of the games minutes played 28 to 30 minutes played but we would have yeah. 12 15 minute stretches of game time i'm talking about like clock 
time. Like seven minutes in the first quarter, seven minutes into the second quarter, the guy just would be sitting on the bench. And it would be crazy. And like we would be running Austin out there for like 30 minute stretches and like it's just like insane stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I guess if we're if we're this far like down the path of committing to Austin as our guy, why not just use some assets and get a better player? I think what kind of turned me, right? was a little bit talking to you and, and and seeing some more stuff on Twitter about like DeJounte. And I think the problem I have with DeJounte, it started to get with DeJounte is we have a lot of these guys and we've had them over the years. These guys meaning whose defensive reputation is like bigger than what it actually is. A lot of these guys who are more like, I don't know, form over substance. Like it, it, like Pat Bev, like doing all his theatrics, but like you look at the numbers at the end of the year and he's just like an average defender. Like we, we've had too many years of guys like that. And I don't, you know, at some point you look at the numbers between what's Delo giving you, you look at the output with what's Delo giving you. I don't know that the incremental defensive upgrade from going from Delo to DeJounte factoring in the offensive downslide, which again, people look at DeJounte's numbers and they're like, oh wow, imagine if you just plug and play this on the Lakers. DeJounte Murray's not taking 20 shots. Okay, he's not taking 20 shots no. a game on the Lakers. He's going to average the same amount of points as D'Angelo at Russell. Best, it will just look different. At best, by the way, because I'm not convinced. He is not the same playmaker. Yeah, not the same playmaker and not the same he's shooter. He's not the same guy who you can put out there for a 35-minute game and say, you might shoot 10 times tonight or you might shoot 25 and good luck getting into a rhythm. He's not had to deal with that in the same way D'Angelo has had to. You have to expect an offensive downturn when he is suddenly thrust into a new team into a completely different role. And how big is that downturn going to be? And does it justify the incremental defensive gain that you get? And finally, you know, after all of this, after all these factors, like thinking about all those things and like the fact that if we don't use a pick, a first at the deadline this year, we have three tradable first round picks on draft night. Like, these are huge, 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 three tradable first round picks and the bird rights to D'Angelo Russell. Like these are huge factors that can't be ignored. And, you know, DeJounte Murray is not moving the needle for this team. If, if we have to get, if, if we have to give up D'Angelo Russell to get him, D'Angelo Russell is our third best player. So this is what I've, you know, kind of been talking about over, over the course of the last few weeks, these incremental gains that just feel pointless. We're talking about two guys who at best are going to be our third best player. We're not talking about who, if you put them on a, 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 you know, kind of expansion team in Vegas, would be the technically the best player. We're talking about for this team, who is the third best player, and how much better could Dejounte be than D'Angelo to justify all of this? And and I just don't think he does really. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you know, if we made the trade, I would not be mad. I would have questions and doubts about the fit. How would he adjust to? lower usage, not having the ball in his hands as much, not having the same shot diet as he once did. Yes, it, we would gain some things, but I think fans are too focused on everything we gain, Tommy, and not focused enough on everything we lose, you know, with D'Angelo Russell. Will we be more exciting? Yes. Will we be more athletic and physical? Yes. Could DeJounte Murray tap back into that defensive player he once was when he was an all-team defender with the Spurs? Yes, he could. But again, when you factor in Everything that you said, plus the assets that will have to go out. Look, it could be the 2029 first, 
JHS, maybe we have to add Max Christie. If we have to send D'Angelo Russell to a third team, we're going to have to give them assets. You may say, who cares about JHS anyways? Well, the thing is, if even if you don't care about JHS at all, that's just another salary slot and salary asset that could go out to another margin move that you could make, right? But now has to go to the Atlanta Hawks just to make this deal work, you know? Yeah. And so when you tack on those other factors about the asset allocation, it's just like, if you really want to make this deal, it, it, it just it just feels like we're operating from a point of semi-desperation. Not the least of which, Tommy, that there's a bigger macro picture here of when is the front office just going to stand by their word with regards to continuity and building a culture? Maybe they never will because that's just the reality when it comes to a LeBron James team. But don't you find it hilarious that the whole theme of this season was continuity and cohesion and midway through we're like, see you later, everybody. And I know D'Angelo Russell was put under a contract that was made to be moved. But again, it's just such, it, to me, it's just such a, it just seems like such a big swing for a marginal upgrade, like you said, that I'm not sure is worth it if you can potentially wait it out a little bit longer for an actual bigger swing that makes sense, you know? So with, with that in mind... Do you have, before before you answer this next question, I'm guessing now you are on team, unless you can really get a big splash, not necessarily DeJounte Murray, but if you can get the next tier above that, we're talking the Donovan Mitchells of the world. Unless you can get that type of player, is it safe to say that you are on team, ride the wave and see? Yes. Okay, so you're looking for marginal upgrades. So given that, and given Jared Vanderbilt's injury, do you have any specific trade targets in mind or updated skill sets, even though it might seem obvious, that you would want to target, understanding the fact that in this scenario, we are keeping D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves? I think the biggest upgrade that's necessary is like some foot speed. And we need foot speed and defense at the two. We need a guy who is in our starting lineup who can defend opposing guards and be a point of attack defender against quick guards, quick scoring guards. That has been like the clear, clear, clear need for this group. And so for that, you know, it's like if you've, you and I've talked about this offline, but the types of guys that I look at, Alex Caruso, guys who are like literally putting up all NBA defensive types of numbers. Yeah, Alex Caruso would be the dream. We'll see if the Bulls come down from their request of two first round picks, although maybe we can get away with the 2029 first protected and JHS, those could be considered two firsts, right? We'll see. But Alex Caruso would be perfect next to a D'Angelo Russell or an Austin Reeves. That's a three guard unit that if Darvin Ham started game one of the Western Conference with against the Nuggets, I think that could actually hold up. Some other names that I think would fit perfectly that would only probably cost several seconds would be guys like Chris Dunn. Have you seen what Chris Dunn's done? Chris Dunn's done this season with the Jazz. He's currently starting, but the reason why he's starting is because of his tenacious defense, his physicality, and the fact that even with that defense, he can handle the rock and playmake. He's not a great offensive player, but he's almost like, yeah, it's almost like Alex Caruso, but with an even worse three-point shot. And so a guy like Chris Dunn is someone that I would target because he is on an expiring deal, and I'm sure the Jazz would just love to stock up on more seconds, you know? So he's a guy who can be had for pretty cheap. Another guy that we both mentioned is Dennis Smith Jr. Now, Tommy, you mentioned to me offline that you think that Dennis Smith is a guy that we should target. Why are you particularly fascinated with him? 
again, I go back to the guys who, as perimeter defenders, I'm not looking at reputation. I don't care about what Kyle Lowry, like what where he is, like whether the fact he might get ra- uh, uh, waived. I don't. I don't care about that right now, right? I want who's actually giving the output in 2024. We have numbers, right? We have the ability to like find this stuff. The thing that's intriguing to me about Dennis Smith Jr. is like if you look at his defensive impact numbers, like pretty much across the board, he is like a top 10 this season perimeter defender. I'm not looking for who is the future franchise point guard of this team. I'm looking for who right now can help us and and you know, you hear about Dylan Brooks, you hear about Mike Conley, you hear about these elite perimeter defenders, but like, no one's talking about Dennis Smith Jr. And I think you can get him for like a second round pick. If you're going to give that, that team is not holding on to Dennis Smith Jr. long term. I think you can get him for a second round pick. And those are the types of things you go after, right? Like I mentioned Caruso earlier, I put him in that same bucket, as these are the truly elite of the elite that are worth giving up draft capital for. The only problem with Caruso is he probably costs you a first round pick because he's got more of a reputation. And and to be fair, it's warranted. He's done it for a longer period of time. And you kind of know more what you're getting, whereas maybe Dennis Smith is an unknown. But again, for that, like JHS is not, I don't, it remains to be seen whether he's an NBA player at all, but he's certainly not ready to play this year. And so we need another guard who can play some defense. And I would be looking at Caruso. I'd be looking at Dennis Smith Jr. I'd be looking at those types of guys. And I think you can get those guys for some draft capital and not much more. Yeah, I agree. And then two other guys that I highlighted in a previous episode of ours where I went through some margin move trade targets that the Lakers didn't see coming or the Palinka move that we didn't see coming. In that episode, I highlighted the Martin twins again because they are the type of versatile wings who don't necessarily, they're not necessarily pure shooters, but they are try-hard guys. They play defense, they scrap for the ball, they're athletic. And if you give them the ball in their hands, they can also take guys off the dribble, break them down and get into the lane and jam it on people. And so Cody Martin is on like a $7.5 million contract this year, $8 million next year. Um, I think it's non-guaranteed. You'd probably need to trade at minimum. You'd probably need to trade Gabe Vincent, maybe add JHS, but he's a guy who I would look at that probably won't cost you much. Um, A guy like DeLon Wright out of the Washington Wizards kind of fits that Chris Dunn, Dennis Smith Jr. mold as well. He's also a really great assist-to-turnover ratio guy. I don't know why the Lakers are so fascinated with this Tyus Jones thing, considering he's an even smaller guard who's an even worse defender than D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. And so I would much rather have a steady point guard in DeLon Wright who can play make a little, but, but you know who will be stable on defense. And so, yeah, those are the things that we're looking for this trade deadline. Do you have any predictions? Like, let's say there's one margin player that you think the Lakers may go after. Who would that player be? Just to put you on record and see if somehow you get this right. Who would that one player be that you think in the, let's say, 7 to $12 million salary slot, who will that player be that the Lakers will bring in come trade deadline? Some of this depends on you know, what happens in the next week and like what what guys' actual markets are, right? If I had to pick, I'm going to caveat this, but if I had to pick one in that specific range, the only one that makes sense to me is Caruso. It, because it's mm-hmm. like, and, and I still think we would have to give up a first, so that's why I think it's unlikely. And so my big caveat over all of this is I just think we end up not making any moves and we just play the waiver wire. Like maybe we make some sort of, 
you know, end of the roster, like Cam Reddish in a second round pick for, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. Some sort of swap like that where we're just swapping minimum guys and giving another team one or two second round picks. I could see something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I just in the seven to 12 million range, I'm not sure that I, I see anything working there. So we've talked about this guy before, and he's kind of gotten lost in the thick of things on his team, but this would be kind of out of left field, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Polinka pulled it off. And he's not the perfect player that people want for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Rob Polinka trade that we didn't see coming is a play on Matisse Thibel, you know, because he is young enough and he has that upside and he has the pedigree that Rob Polinka tends to gravitate towards, who if... Caruso is too rich. Matisse Thibault is only making like $7 million over the next two or three years. I feel like that's the type of guy who you could flank D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves with. And he's shown enough progression with his three-point shot this season that I think he's at least a better three-point shooter than Cam Reddish, you know? So what would your thoughts be on bringing in a guy like Matisse Thibault in that respect? I mean, Matisse Thibault is exactly the type of Caruso type of player that I'm thinking of here. Like, again, I would have to, it would, if, if we're spending my issue with Thibault is like, what are they going to want for him? Right? Like if it's a first for Let, both, let's say it's like the Rui, let's say it's the Rui Hachimura deal of three seconds again or something like that. Yeah. Then I would do that. If we can, if we can pull something like that off, um, I think you have to, you have to try to do it. I just, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see because so much has of the noise has been around like the splashier types of trades, which it always mm-hmm. is. It's just kind of funny this year because the con- contenders are emerging more so this year than I think was the case last year. Um, last year, if if everyone recalls like the split between like the number two team or the number three, like two or three team in the West versus 13 was like eight games or, you know, something crazy. And now it's like, we're five games out of sixth as the nine seed, which is, which is like insane. So, the contenders are emerging. I think teams know what they're trying to get, but I don't think we're going to get the big splashy types of deals this year. So the the question is going to be what remains after that. And candidly, I don't care who we get as long as it's not Dorian Finney-Smith. I'm just going to go on the record as saying that. <laughs> so Dorian Finney-Smith is really good, but I think people, are fans especially, Laker fans especially, are going to have a it's huge getting, like, reality the, check. The when... Torian <laughs> Prince treatment, dude. Like, yes, we can all acknowledge that this would be the, a great archetype to have, but I don't want to bring in this guy to play 45 minutes a night and score eight points and shoot inconsistent from three. That's It's just like, yeah. what are we doing? We're doing the same thing over and over and over. And by the way, for some reason, his market is so artificially inflated <laughs> that he apparently caused a first-round pick to get that kind of like inconsistent an output which is crazy this guy is not all he's a good defender he's not all nba defense type of that's the kind of output we need if you're burning a pick because the guy that we get is not going to be getting consistent offensive looks so you have to assume he's going to be a zero the same way we do it for vanderbilt and you know what vanderbilt you could still justify playing him because he's that elite off uh, defensively Mm -hmm. that's the type of player we need somebody who literally if he gives you zero on any given night because of the inconsistent looks and inconsistent minutes is still worth playing because his defense is that elite that's that's the archetype i'm looking for well i'll say this tommy i'll i'll do the dfs deal if it means torian prince is out the door yeah i I will do any deal i'll send all three of our (laughs) friends to get torian prince (laughs) off this team 
Again, nothing to say, nothing to do with Torian Prince's actual play, just all to do with Darvin Ham and his misutilization of the half-blood prince, prince of Persia, that he uh, holds to high, higher regard than the king, apparently, on this team. Um, so why don't we take it to a quick break? When we return, we'll get to my predictions on the trade deadline of what the Lakers will do, and we'll get to some other trade target names that we haven't yet gone to in different positions. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc all right so we are back so if if i had to make a prediction on what uh this is not a splashy deal but maybe like a mid-tier deal a less than splashy deal but still kind of splashy deal my prediction for that type of trade would be I would not be surprised if the Lakers somehow made a swing for Gary Trent Jr. He's on an expiring $18 million. The Lakers would need to use Torian Prince's salary, Gabe Vincent, and maybe JHS, or maybe like another vet minimum to make the salaries work. But the only reason why I think Masai might do this, on top of any draft capital that we may give, is the fact that Gary Trent is expiring, and maybe he just wants... I don't know. I've heard that Gabe Vincent, we'd need to attach assets to get off of him. So maybe this won't work, but maybe he wants that asset slot to use in future trades, you know? But I think something we haven't talked about with regards to trade targets recently is just an infusion of shooting. And I think Gary Trent would be kind of the best of both worlds or meeting meeting things halfway with regards to here's a bigger guard who has a reputation for being physical, at least at the very least gets a lot of steals in his heyday, but can also shoot the lights out. It's almost like getting Dennis Schroeder and Malik Beasley fused into one, except he's like 6'5". So would you be down for Gary Trent if we could make that work and not give up like a first to get it done, even though that sounds unrealistic? I don't know that it's unrealistic for an expiring, but I would... I would try to... Yeah, I mean, Gary Trent, I think, fits that kind of mold that I'm looking for. Again, I want Gary Trent to be another look for this group. I don't want Gary Trent to be a 38 minute per game player. And that's the, that's like (laughs) why I get nervous with this, right? Like I put Gary Trent kind of in the same bucket as like, maybe he's not as bad as DFS and some of these other guys, but like his defensive reputation, I think exceeds the actual output. Like you live with it a little bit more because he's such a prolific offensive player. And he's had seasons where he scored like 20 a game and had stretches where he's, scored 20 a game and, and and can still give you some pretty good defense, but it's not the kind of like, I mean, when we're playing a 39 year old LeBron and two slow guards on the backcourt, like, or even if just one other slow guard on the backcourt and Torian Prince, who's a low foot speed guy, we need a like elite, elite, elite 
like the elitist of the elite perimeter defender next to these guys. And so, you know, for the right price, I do that. But I I don't know that Gary Trent in a vacuum, depending on what we have to like give up for him, like moves the needle really for this group. Yeah. Lastly, with regards to big man, I know this is a category that you haven't been too keyed in on for practical reasons with regards to you can always find big men out on the buyout market or whatever. But given what we've seen from Jackson Hayes and even with all his flaws, just how impactful his energy, athleticism, and just size can be for this team in short stints, have you changed your mind at all on maybe the Lakers going after a margin move big man with regards, or where do you stand on on going after big men? Do you think that's a that's a thing that the Lakers need to address on the trade market, or something that you think that maybe that's a buyout market move? Although, if you look at the buyout market, it's really Bismack Biombo, and at that point, you're looking at G League Diamond and the Rough guys who you probably can't count on. So, where do you stand on maybe trading for a big man? And if we do trade for a big man, like. What do you think about a Daniel Gafford who is making $12 million, but who may cost more? It may cost some draft capital to get, but maybe you can swing a deal for Daniel Gafford and DeLon Wright, and then you're filling two positions of need. Or a rung below that or two rungs below that would be a, would be guys like Andre Drummond, Nick Richards, star Nick Richards from the Charlotte Hornets, only making $5 million the next two years, who I feel like is just going under the radar or even a guy like Jalen Smith, who's making $5 million this year, $5 million player option next year. Just this infusion of size and rebounding that we've seen. If Darvin Ham just plays another big next to Anthony Davis, can work. You know, we've seen in spurts, Christian Wood, Anthony Davis works. Jackson Hayes, Anthony Davis kind of works too. What if we get a more reliable option in terms of a big man in that respect? Your thoughts on going after a big man and where you stand on that spectrum of what type of big man do we get? Do we get like a Daniel Gafford who may cost more or do we try for one of these underrated big men like Nick Richards who may only cost a second and we'll go from there? I think of those two options, it's probably going to be the latter, if anything. But I think most likely what we do is play the market or the waiver market, right? And and it's probably not going to be anybody else. It's probably the case that Bismack Biombo is our best choice if if we end up going that route, right? But I think the two things would have to happen for this to for this to work. We either trade Jackson Hayes for nothing coming back, like we trade him into someone else's space to create an extra spot, or we trade him in a second and like a swap for another minimum level expiring guy. Um, you know, so some of these guys on your list may fit that category and we just have to see who bites on one or two seconds. And then we have to decide, by the way, is that worth 10 minutes a game? We're entering the prime. This is like crazy. The season has like flown by so fast. Um, it feels like a blur, but like we're entering the winning time, right? Like this is the last 30 games of the season. Like it's time to go. Like this is not the time of the season where we're suddenly going to decide, okay, actually, you know what? Let's try playing a two big lineup. We know Anthony Davis is our guy at the center. We know he's going to be playing 35 to 38 minutes uh, per game the rest of the season. We've been able to somewhat limit him and LeBron somewhat with a huge, huge asterisk next to it. Limit LeBron and AD, not as much as we wanted to, but still somewhat limit their minutes over the beginning of the season. I say that knowing AD is like third in the NBA in minutes or something, but you know, trying to make that work, it's, it's going to go into overdrive here for the last 30 games. And 
I I can imagine a scenario where, although we can all acknowledge it's a need, although we can all acknowledge it sucks when AD's in foul trouble and our defense becomes that bad, we're talking about a guy who's going to probably play 10 minutes a night at best if he's playing even playing every night. So that's why I'm not like really interested in using a ton of draft capital to to get there. Yeah, that's fair. And I and I think I think I'm a little still skewing more towards making it a priority just because I've seen what this season has done to Anthony Davis and how he's already starting to pile up all of these knickknack injuries. And again, we went to this model in 2019-20 when Anthony Davis was much healthier. And even though it's win time now and you know the Lakers have to get into a groove of things, I don't think adding a big man into the rotation for certain stints in 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 a game uh, will hurt the team. I think it'll only help preserve Anthony Davis and also allow him to play more free safety on the perimeter, which is, even if it is for 10 to 15 minutes, I think there's valuable utility to that. And so I would try to do better than the buyout market. Although I will say, if you if the Lakers are getting any smoke or inclinations that Andre Drummond may make it to the buyout market, they should probably go that way because I think there's a realistic possibility that Andre Drummond will ask out from the Bulls. He's on an expiring like $3 million vet minimum deal. So he actually could make it to the buyout market without anybody bidding on him. So we'll see. But in lieu of that, Tommy, my prediction for the Lakers margin moves this trade deadline would be, and it's very simple. You guys have probably already heard this proposal. I think the Lakers are going to make a deal with the Charlotte Hornets and our good old friend Mitch Kupchak. I think we're going to trade JHS and a second, a couple seconds, for Nick Richards. And if we want to, maybe also add Cody Martin, who's also making $7.5 million this year. In this pipe dream scenario, even though it's a realistic scenario, Torian Prince would also be going out, and all of a sudden we'd have Cody Martin to take his place. Um, I think in this deal, if, if you're getting both Nick Richards and Cody Martin, you probably need to trade Gabe Vincent a minimum and maybe add JHS and tack on a couple of seconds. But at this point, it's win now time. And I think for a durable, solid big man who's seven foot with a seven foot four wingspan, a Kentucky guy who can shoot free throws, I know AD dunked on him earlier on in this season. I just think getting that guy for the next two years, yeah, he's $5 million the next two years without having to do the revolving door of mid big man again, I think that would be the best plan for the Lakers moving forward. And then, Tommy, at the on the buyout market, and this is kind of galaxy brain of me, I think the Lakers need to find a shooter. So if we have the big man slot filled and then we have like that wing defender guy, physical guard filled in Cody Martin, I think then the Lakers need to find a buyout guy who is a shooter. And in that respect, I would try to go after Joe Harris. So I don't know if Joe Harris is rooted or whatever, but I know he's just wasting away on the Detroit Pistons bench. And if you remember, Joe Harris was once on the Nets and him and D'Angelo Russell were doing some pretty cool things. D'Angelo Russell's first year on the Brooklyn Nets, making it to the playoffs and all that stuff. And that's when Joe Harris kind of made a name for himself. Again, he could be devastatingly injured, but I have a feeling he has a little bit more juice left. And from what we've seen of this Lakers team, we could just use one more shooter a la Sam Hauser that can just run around, curl off screens. And it's funny because, again, we're like a few months removed from Joe Harris being in a package with Kyrie Irving and us all being like, you know, Joe Harris is making a bloated contract, but he may just work for this team, you know? So any thoughts on my realistic slash maybe pipe dream scenario of 
trading for Nick Richards, Cody Martin, and signing Joe Harris on the buyout market. If you want to swap out Cody Martin for a guy like Matisse Thibel, you can. I'm just not sure if it's realistic to get Matisse Thibel. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Nick Richards, Cody Martin, slash Matisse Thibel, and Joe Harris? I like the proposal. I mean, those are the those th- three guys. I think you hit the nail on the head, like kind of fill the three biggest needs of this team. The one thing I just want to say about three-point shooting, by the way, is this is going to surprise people, maybe, this stat, given where we started. Did you know the Lakers are currently 15th in the NBA in three-point percentage? Like overall? Yeah, on the season. Oh, no, I did not know that. <laughs> that is <laughs> the very Lakers surprising. Are, this horrific, free, uh, allegedly horrific three-point shooting team is 15th on the season in percentage. Now, the reason you think we're a bad team probably is because we are third to last in makes and we are like dead last in attempts. And obviously those two things go hand in hand. So kind of in the theme of like, you know, all of these other uh, moves that we've we've kind of like joked about maybe partially is like, we have to dumb it down for Darvin Ham and getting a guy like Joe Harris is like, you know, oh, this guy, shoot, he, he won a three-point contest. Now we have three-point shooting. Like, okay, fine. If this guy can't look at a number sheet and see that we are middle of the pack as a three-point percentage team, we are currently 0.1% below the likes of the Dallas Mavericks, the Sacramento Kings, and the Denver Nuggets. We are 0.1% below all three of those teams we're actually a pretty good three-point shooting team efficiency wise we just don't take the attempts so if, if you're telling me that joe harris will come in and darvin will suddenly have a light go off and be like we should attempt more threes i trade all of our remaining first for that because it's like again <laughs> for a we buyout need to, like, joe harris <laughs> for a buyout joe harris i like this is what i'm talking about like this is like where we are with with our coaching um so we have to we have to take the thinking out of the equation well in in line with that it's like darvin ham will finally run some plays for a shooter because he's like that's a shooter even though we've had d'angelo russell this entire time and the most he never runs three-point swing out plays where d'angelo russell flares out of the screen for a three-point shot you know like d'angelo russell's three-point shot diet is transition threes and that's pretty much it you know or like kickouts to d'angelo russell but we don't see any of that down screen pin down screen d'angelo russell pops out for an open three it's like what are we doing here but yeah to your point if we can get a surefire shooter like joe harris or you know, Chetty Osman, if he gets bought out, that would be amazing. I'm sure you would have guys like Gordon Hayward at the top of your list as well if he got a buyout. Kyle Lowry, I don't know. I think the same problems present itself when you give Darvin Ham that type of player with that pedigree and you're like, Tommy, here's Kyle Lowry now averaging 32 minutes a game. You know, I mean, he would help, but I'm very scared at, at what it will look like to see Kyle Lowry and Darvin Ham's hands in that plush bottom of his in Darvin Ham's pockets. With that said, we've gone long enough. The trade deadline is coming up this week. Buckle up, strap in. This is still a good group of guys, even if the Lakers don't make that big swing. If we do get DeJounte Murray, it's going to be exciting and very interesting to say the least. And at least we've got a guy who's on for four more years. And we just hope that he turns more into De'Aaron Fox than he does Russell Westbrook. And if we don't make the DeJounte Murray deal, all is not lost. There are creative margin moves to make here that I think can bolster this team. Especially if you tack on the fact that I think this team still believes they can bounce back because that has been their ethos throughout the last 
year and a half or so since they were constructed at the trade deadline. So with that said, Tommy, I will catch you after the trade deadline. Dun, dun, dun. See ya. Peace. Laters. Thank you.